Welcome to Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Here is your host, David Ponraj, founder and CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst. Well, Monique Quaterman and David Brock, thank you for your time today and welcome to Breaking Down Barriers. Thank you. It is a joy to join you today. I have been looking over your materials and some of your other interviews that just seem fantastic. And this is one of my favorite subjects. So super honored to join you today. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Malik, let's start with uh, how you got into innovation and a little bit about your new role uh, and share about some of the you know, exciting things that are in the works right now. That is a great question. I always like to start with where I came from. I'm originally from Kentucky, uh, from Hardin County, Kentucky, where I was part of a program, youth program called uh, FFA, formerly the Future Farmers of America. That gave me access uh, to understanding biotechnology in a really practical sense. And so when I went to college and I went after my grad degree in business to be able to join the University of Louisville innovation team, taking all of the wonderful ideas that save lives, packaging them in a way um, that's conducive to partnership and bringing them to market, that was the career that just made sense to me. And I'm so fortunate to be able to do this work in a way that helps other people um, that may be from backgrounds that aren't as represented in numbers uh, in this space. So it has been fantastic to really champion um, not only innovation in Kentucky, but inclusive innovation. So let's start with some uh, basic questions to get out of the way. So how would you describe innovation from your role today? Sure. So describing innovation from my role today, you know, I really like to describe it um, in a very practical sense of innovation is a new way of solving a problem or a new way of making something different or more efficient or easier. You know, it's fantastic to really think about the components of innovation because when you strip them down, it really lies upon the inventor or the entrepreneur, um, who they are as a person and making sure that they show up as their authentic selves in order to extract the most novelty and the most impact from it. I have a good friend, uh, his name is Jonathan Holofield. Uh, he wrote a book called The Future Economy and Inclusive Competitiveness. I absolutely love this book. And the reason why I love the book is that it defines the future of innovation and the opportunity of innovation is on the basis of diversity. When you have a whole lot of people with different backgrounds and um, the ability to bring their true selves and their own issues and their own um, perspectives and imagination, um, you're able to contribute to a thriving innovation economy that is competitive with other nations. And so for America to really access all of the wonderful research and innovation competitiveness that is in the future, it has to leverage the diversity of its populations and how fortunate to be able to be part of this work. Absolutely, I love how you've brought in uh, diversity as one of the foundational elements of innovation. Uh, because uh, when, when people ask me, you know, how do you uh, create a great team? I say, just hire people that don't look like you. <laughs> yeah, a very simple thing, you know, just hire people that don't look like you, uh, you're just by having diversity uh, of people, you're going to have diversity of thought and diversity of 
uh, experiences. That mm-hmm. itself will uh, will drive uh, innovation. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your role and how you got here, Monique. Um, what does uh, uh, a person of color, uh, what kind of barriers do they face in getting to a role like yours? Uh, for others that might be listening and saying, wow, I'd like to follow Monique's footsteps to support my uh, regional innovation team. I really appreciate that question. It's something that's very personal to me. You know, I think it starts with exposure and access, right? Having an environment where not only are you able to see the work as it's being done, especially innovative work as it's being done, being able to uh, be enthralled by inventors at work um, and being able to look through the microscope and see the particles, um, but also having the access to have those real conversations with people who are living the career um, and being able to relate to them in a very personal sense. I was very fortunate um, at the University of Louisville to grow from being um, a very temporary early stage role uh, to being able to grow in the ranks. And mentorship was such a huge component of that. Um, Not only accessing mentors when it came to leaders of the higher education administration, but also um, mentors that were in the research space and being able to hear um, some of the things that they encounter from day to day and be interested in seeing myself in solving problems. Um, I think that's so important for our youth to be able to really realize um, what they are fully capable of. Um, But then it transforms uh, an opportunity and and access to opportunity, right, of being able to look to leadership figures um, that are of diverse backgrounds and of uh, different places and different walks of life. Um, Having leaders that are more diverse in innovation creates an opportunity and a pipeline by which more people um, can get their foot in the door and be able to see themselves leading this wonderful ecosystem. You know, in Kentucky especially, I'm so proud of that. To be able to see the growth and transformation of our ecosystem from being very, um, very um, similar demographic um, to now being the winner of four inclusive innovation awards in the past two years, um, the way that we got here is not only making the careers available, not only making education pathways available, but promoting people of color, women, people from rural areas into positions of leadership and supporting them to attract other people from their demographics, from their communities into this wonderful ecosystem. And we're finally at the point where we get to to reap the rewards of that. And let's go one more question deep into this conversation around mentorship, because we get asked a lot about mentoring and how hard a mentorship is because you got to create the right incentives for the mentors and the mentees, you know, the the whole handshake process. Talk to us about mentoring, you know, about some mentors in your life and mentors that helped you get here. Uh, Is uh, is it University of Louisville? Is it the Kentucky culture? Uh, What creates for great mentoring? That's such an awesome question, my goodness. You know, mentorship can take a lot of forms, and I like to start with that, especially when um, young people ask me what what mentorship really is. It really can be defined in a number of ways. It certainly has been defined in many ways in my life. You know, I think to that time in University of Louisville, when Dr. Paula Bates was writing um, the first um, grant for uh, the REACH initiative um, or uh, commercialization hubs, a partnership with the National Institutes of Health. 
and going to the clinical translational research building as a junior staff member and her making space for me at the table, negotiating with the heads of the cancer center, negotiating with the heads of the health centers about what the reality of this grant will look like. I also think to when I transitioned out of the university space and I took a role um, at a black owned woman owned engineering firm uh, here in Louisville, Kentucky, and just to be able to learn from that founder and learn from her brilliance and how she navigates the world um, as a, a passionate medical device founder. Um, there are so many examples that I can think of and, and point to because it's more than just having set up times for coffee. I love coffee, by the way. Um, it's more of having those uh, pivotal conversations at the right time in the right place that result in opportunity where you can really demonstrate those skills. I always like to tell um, young people or people that are interested in growing in the innovation industry, if you're not even a little bit uncomfortable with the subject matter at hand, you're not digging hard enough. And we try to actively create those opportunities here in Kentucky Innovation with my team. Um, so as we meet entrepreneurs in the area and as we have conversations across our six uh, Kentucky Innovation hubs, giving them opportunities to platform and, and get more incoming inquiries. Uh, sometimes it can be a little hectic even because they get a whole lot of questions that maybe they're not ready for. We try to partner with them um, in a way that we're there every step in a way. So in a sense, in addition to being a program provider, we also try to take the, the form of a coach and mentor, helping them to navigate these different stages of growth. So really mentorship can mean a lot of different things to startups. Um, I think the important aspect of it is making sure that they're readily available for people, making sure that seasoned people in the ecosystem are available to have those conversations, but also encouraging programs to have those deeper conversations with startup about their growth beyond the programs, beyond the incentives, just purely focused on growth. That's amazing. So you have a network of mentors that are giving back already and you've created that culture. Uh, of giving back, uh, that, that's fantastic. Thank you. So, yeah. so let me uh, ask you uh, about your new role uh, that you've been in for, I guess, five months now. Uh, uh, Wanna ask you, you know, what uh, are your strategic priorities and you know, what are you looking to accomplish uh, in this role? Uh, because I think our practitioners who work with other state officials that are doing this work, I think it'll help them understand kind of you know, uh, opportunities in their own regions and state. Wow, that's such a great question that we think about every day, to be honest. Strategic priorities, you know, I was very fortunate coming into this role because my predecessor um, was very focused on making sure that we had solid structures in place that allow for not only innovation to happen, but abundant innovation. So I think to initiatives like um, our famous public-private partnership in Kentucky Commercialization Ventures, where all of Kentucky's public um, uh, universities, um, state universities and community and technical colleges are working together to boost commercialization. Um, that was uh, pretty groundbreaking for our state um, and required a whole lot of focus and effort in making sure that the structure existed and it, and it really works well. I also think to you know, our six Kentucky innovation hubs and their creation, they've been operating for a couple of years now. Um, but to have um, entrepreneurship um, hubs in your community that is accessible within a short drive or a short bus ride um, to where you have someone that is there and able to mentor you and coach you through the next steps of your innovation and startup design process. 
these are huge components. So stepping in, you know, I was really able to fortunately focus strategically on efficiency, making sure that our references, because we have such a large swath of programs, financial incentives and engagements, making sure that people find the right resource at the right time, um, but also focusing a little bit more on access, right? We have 4.5 million Kentuckians and we have a, a wonderful diverse population within it. How do we make sure that we as a collected community are making sure to include our veteran entrepreneurs, our rural entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs, et cetera? How are we engaging them in a way that's not only supportive, but meaningful? Um, that was another aspect. And I would say the last part is sprinkling in that bit of excellence, right? Because once you um, are able to create that access by having these wonderful programs and partnerships that engage, can, can engage almost every Kentuckian across the state, once you have um, and are able to harness the wonderful talents of our um, diverse communities and making sure that they're well supported, there you have a fertile ground for innovation, right? Making sure that we leverage it, making sure that we leverage these opportunities to where there is a constant inflow of opportunity uh, for the next generations of Kentuckians to continue doing their great work. Um, so we're really excited about several different initiatives, one of them being diversifying access to early stage venture capital, um, be it loan-based or um, equity-based. We are also looking at uh, industry clusters. How do we um, leverage agritech and how do we leverage it in a way that's meaningful uniquely for our state and its communities? How do we leverage our booming automotive production industry in a way that really makes sense for Kentucky and its future generations? That's probably the most fun aspect of the job is taking these wonderful communities and, and the opportunity linking them together and seeing the wonderful outputs that come from that. And if I just might uh, offer a, a little bit about sort of we're talking strategy tactics and Monique is talking about some of the, the big ticket items, but I think something that she's really brought uh, to bear for us that's been very important is partnership in all of these things. And, um, you know, as you know, especially when we're talking about government, private sector, quasi-governmental uh, work, there are a lot of silos, there are a lot of, you know, fiefdoms, and Monique has done wonders in a short period of time, sort of breaking down some of those walls and getting people just in the same room, um, virtually, a lot of times, which we're now more used to, but I think that the collaborative spirit and uh, effort where we've had lots of different you know, permutations of universities and, and again, private companies, um, entire industry sort of verticals coming together to try to look at how Kentucky can use partnership as a force multiplier. Uh, you know, we have four and a half million people. We are still a relatively small state. We, there are certain sort of deficits when it comes to venture capital, other things of that nature. But um, I think that just in the last several months, we've seen so much work uh, collaboratively that you know, we'd seen some of that in the past, but it's happening now on a much more regular basis. And that's been helpful, again, in, in sort of the flourish with all of these different programs, whether it's KCV, whether it is um, industry clustering, whether it is, you know, 
looking at just sort of at the community level at these hubs and sort of the direct service uh, providers who work with entrepreneurs, there's so much more connectivity now than there ever has been uh, in our ecosystem. And you know, that's such a great point, David. I want to make sure to, to seal that with a little bit of a story um, because I think it really illustrates his points um, so, so very well. An example is one of the areas that we reviewed in Kentucky is having opportunity for growth um, is protecting Kentucky's knowledge assets. A lot of people overlook the fact that Kentucky have, uh, has fantastic inventors from corner to corner of our state. In fact, the 2021 Global Health Innovation Conference champion is a faculty member from Eastern Kentucky University, and we're so proud of him for coming up with a water quality test. So as we think about how do we protect our knowledge assets, one of the things that we started working on about a year and a half ago is development of a Kentucky Intellectual Property Alliance. Um, really starting to bring together the different players in our community um, that interact with knowledge assets and doing so in an intentional way to really boost the state's attention um, for and on innovation. And we're so fortunate to have um, wonderful partners through it. Not only the US IPA, where we were the first probably rural state to get started on an initiative like this, um, but also striking up new partnerships with our Midwest region, USBTO. Um, they have been a fantastic supporter, even coming to present to all of Kentucky's entrepreneurship support organizations on intellectual property and its purpose for entrepreneurs. Um, we have an award-winning inventors network, Kentucky, that we partner with often. It's just a great way of illustrating how we have sort of married um, the work of academia, our corporate partners, our uh, state actors, and also our community around something, a goal that we have in innovation. And we're working to do even more of that. Wow, there's some, so much amazing content. First, I'll just give a quick shout out to USPTO. I love the team there. I've seen them in so many conferences. They're yes. really focused on commercialization. They're there to help inventors. They're help, there to help people that are filing patents. Uh, trademarks, etc. Yeah, they're great to work with. Uh, I'll, I'll have two points to touch on um, as a follow-up. Uh, first is how do you do all this work and make sure that we're not uh, uh, excluding the people we're trying to support? Uh, and I'll give you an example, right? So PPP, uh, the stories of PPP and uh, how inequitable it was have been told. But the fact that the design uh, of something that was there to help people had design flaws in that they required uh, a trusted banking relationship and access to financial statements, which a lot of people did not have. Mm -hmm. And therefore it was ex you know, exclusive in just its own design. So first off, you know, how do you ensure uh, inclusivity in the design process of innovation? Because like you said, right? Like when you are more diverse, you're driving more innovation, new inventions. Uh, and then uh, the big question, which I'll say for a second, which is, it looks like you all have a secret to breaking down silos. And we, as a company, we exist primarily because silos exist in the US. Our only purpose is breaking down silos. So we have to go back and address what is your secret uh, on that front. But first let's talk about uh, inclusive design uh, around innovation. How do you make sure that rural veterans, people of color, immigrants, all of them uh, are part of the solution? 
Oh, I'm so grateful for that question. And let me tell you why, <laughs> because it really is the secret sauce behind what we do. A lot of times people um, ask us, well, how do y'all all get it done? Well, first I have to give a pat on my back to my amazing small but mighty Kentucky Innovation team. I mean, they are just phenomenal. Um, I would say they spend equal time uh, doing the work of going through emails, responding to requests, which are nonstop, um, and equal time in community, talking with real people, real entrepreneurs from corner to corner of our state, and really relating to them in a way that helps them to understand um, the difference between what's going on from our perspective at the Capitol to the perspective in the community. That's so important, especially when we take the lessons learned from interacting with our entrepreneurs and community back and try to roll out a new program, right? Um, as a very small um, business um, owner at the time that um, the PPP program came out, um, I can relate to how complicated some of these things are. When you're just getting started as an entrepreneur or you're moonlighting it to uh, have a full-time job and you're doing your work after hours, Sometimes it can be really hard to find the resources that you need in a way that allows you to reach the next uh, goals of your business. That is why Kentucky Innovation is so diversified in the resources that we have available. So I mentioned earlier um, that we're split into three groups of programs, uh, incentives and financial programs and engagement. That is really designed so that we can meet entrepreneurs uh, support needs exactly where they are. Uh, so having the Kentucky Innovation Hub sort of allows us to be extension of ourselves in every community, but we also have federally supported programs like the Kentucky Procurement Technical Assistance Center, we call them KYP Tech because that's a long name, where any Kentucky business can get uh, free counseling near or in their community on how to gain access to government business in a way um, that sort of makes that registration process more efficient. We also have programs that connect people to small business innovation research. So not only are we offering programs in the venture capital space and the equity-based space, um, we are also offering non-dilutive grant opportunities in partnership with the federal government. The way that this works is that when someone receives a federal small business innovation research grant, um, they can apply to the state of Kentucky to match that up to a certain amount. And our grant focuses on allowable costs that typically would not be funded by the federal instrument. We are the first uh, state, Kentucky is the first state in the nation to roll out a program like this. And let me tell you, more states have followed on after the fact. And we are so proud of that because I think people recognize that when you're putting multiple instruments that are available to meet the needs of the founder there, there's more trust and more sort of counseling and coaching that happens and it keeps your entrepreneurs coming back. So when it comes time for our financial incentives that do require that sort of added layer of due diligence, right? We're talking either tax credits, we have an angel investment tax credit, we have an investment fund credit, um, credits that relate to growing jobs and purchasing equipment. They are ready and they have built trust from the programs that we had on the programmatic side. And oh, by the way, we have an engagement arm that is focused on telling the stories, the success stories of Kentucky entrepreneurs, harnessing and, and really capturing the diverse stories as they come about across our Commonwealth. We do so through a partnership called Kentucky Inno. It's the first statewide digital publication that focuses only on innovation community. 
and a middle tech podcast that focus regionally on stories of Kentucky entrepreneurs. So what we have here is a little bit of a wraparound in a sense of yes, we will meet you in your needs in your community. Yes, we will provide those incentives that are typically associated with economic development, but then also we'll celebrate those wins and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to follow that footstep and start the cycle all over again. That's, uh... That's really well said. And I, I would just add, I think, to some of that programmatic uh, piece and sort of barriers to entry and making things accessible. That's something that we think about every day. And as the state you know, agency who is funding um, some of these sort of extensions that are regional and are, are dealing with uh, people day to day, you know, we, our obligation is to serve all 120 counties in the state of Kentucky, all 4.5 million residents in Kentucky to provide a high level of customer service and access to those things. And so we're constantly reiterating that the way that we build a, an innovation culture and ecosystem throughout the state has to be the same way. And so that's something that we're, again, consistently, constantly reiterating and minding and making sure that our partners who are out in the state um, are doing so that that these you know organizations and the events that they put on are accessible, that the door is open, and that 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 they are not clubby, that they aren't something that uh, seem exclusive, and that they are actively looking uh, to bring more people in. Um, and then I think to the specific example of SBIR, STTR, and our matching funds program, we also fund sort of the front end of the pipeline and trying to help diversify the SBIR applications on the front end, making sure that we are educating people, uh, educating more you know, innovators that this is a possibility for you. This non-dilutive funding can be a game changer. And uh We've made big strides in there, but there's a lot more to come on that. Um, and we are working closely with some of our partners at the Kentucky Science and Technology Corporation on developing uh, more effective outreach so that we can get, again, more accessibility and more visibility um, into what those opportunities for SBIR are. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I just asked one question. This is due to my background. So I led innovation globally for Nielsen, the market research company. So yeah. traveled around the world sourcing innovation for what next generation of measurement will look like. So my question on that is, how do you all measure your outcomes? Because ultimately what we can't measure, we can't improve. So have you created a baseline? Uh, you measure against the baseline. Uh, you also measure against other states and benchmark against the best. How do you all measure uh, progress? Such a good question, David, because I'm sure you know how complicated measurement can be with Nielsen. My goodness, uh, measurement is so important, but also the strategy and the approach to measurement is so important. So we do so in a number of ways. We hold ourselves accountable in a number of ways. One of them, because our largest underrepresented population in Kentucky is the rural population for our Kentucky Enterprise Fund, for example, we have at least 20% of our investments have to go to startups in rural areas. Um, they are facing uh, special challenges that um, are re sometimes related to not being centered in a, an urban center. Um, we wanted to make sure um, that we were taking care of them and that we were making sure um, that they are included in our venture capital instruments. 
as we continue to grow, that's one of the things that we're looking with for the State Small Business Credit Initiative for SSBCI 2.0. It can kind of be tricky. One of the things that um, I often talked with um, the National Institutes of Health Action Committee um, on EDI um, is that, you know, what are the implications of collecting demographic data? What they found, um, what some of the uh, members had found while working with the SBIR program is that when and how you ask the demographic question can affect the responses that you're getting from the applicant. Because if you're really cognizant of some of the experiences of some of these backgrounds, you know that sometimes there's a little bit of distrust of if there's not something on the other end that is going to support me, why would I provide that data at all? And we wanna be respectful of that. Um, so with the Small Business Credit Initiative, that's one of the reasons why I was so excited from Department of Treasury. Department of Treasury not only offers a guideline of support uh, for making sure that um, in their definition is termed socially and economically disadvantaged individuals. Not only are they providing that guideline of something like a baseline 20%, but they have encouraged states to aim higher and Kentucky is aiming higher. Um, in fact, when we looked at our Kentucky Enterprise Fund for that socially and economically disadvantaged individuals definition from the Department of Treasury, we were probably at a higher than 60% rate um, over our past fiscal year, which means not only are we meeting the suggested um, sort of guideline for um, these demographics, but we're exceeding it. And so, of course, as we develop new programs, we want to continue to exceed it. But then too, in looking at the engagement aspect of it, that's really important too, right? Because we're now statewide, our ecosystem is transforming. How do we make sure to engage these populations in a way that our intake numbers are consistently going up? Well, we are sponsoring specific events and opportunities that really focus in the demographic areas that we wanna engage. We were recently at Stand Up Rural America for that reason, Kentucky Innovation. We were recently at Black Tech Week and we were sponsored at Black Tech Week. Later this week, uh, we'll be in Lexington for the 20th annual um, Bluegrass uh, Minority Business Expo. And our secretary is speaking at that event. We are doing everything possible to really show and demonstrate to our communities how serious we are about access to capital and making sure that they're aware that we are actively looking for them because we believe so much in there where our innovation comes from and really gets better. Wow, that's amazing. I uh, love how you really dove into SSBCI, the State Small Business Credit Initiative and, uh, and pushed even that limit uh, to, to uh, beyond what the expectation was. So that's uh, fascinating. Uh, uh, last question, uh, but a really important question. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want this conversation to end, but this question around breaking down silos. Uh, what have you learned? Uh, because this is a challenge across uh, the nation in small communities, big communities, everywhere we go, uh, you know, and, and so they'll come to us typically and say, okay, let's now map your ecosystem because that's the first step. I tell them, don't stop there. You've got a map of the ecosystem now actually convene, actually get together, talk about challenges, talk about uh, the front door to the ecosystem. What are these barriers that all of these communities face? Bring the Latin chamber, bring in the uh, black chamber, you know, bring in uh, those underrepresented uh, groups uh, to the table, right? So what are you doing? What's your secret sauce in breaking down silos across Kentucky? That's a great question because silos, 
um, are, are something that's a really hard challenge for any level of government, right? Whether you're looking at federal government, state government, or local government, there are structures in place and, and statutes in place that sometimes make it really easy to only look in a particular direction and not be able to break from it in practice. Of course, we do all, I, all that we can in Kentucky Innovation to combat that by being actively in our communities all, every day, every week, um, having those interactions, but that will always exist to a, a point, right? Um, I would say, you know, our secret sauce for doing so is embracing a sense of decentralization. Yes, I said it, decentralization. <laughs> it is an aspect of our strategy that is so important and I think has really been our secret sauce to getting the things done um, in a sense that as a state entity, we could purely uh, perceive innovation and entrepreneurship development from our own seat, from our own chair, and trying to implement everything ourselves. But the truth is that that's very inefficient. And also it makes it very hard to ensure the community's representation and the community's voice in the deployment of these programs, right? Um, instead, we have embraced that sense of, let's use our academic community, give them the tools that they need in order to serve their communities and make sure um, that they are served. Let's use our Kentucky Innovation Hubs. Sometimes they do the work themselves. Sometimes they may subcontract with community entities and nonprofits in the community that are just serving a certain niche of our entrepreneurship community very well. And for the most part, David, to be honest, um, in some ways, we, we, we certainly do our fiduciary responsibility of making sure that the funds are used correctly. But when it comes to having the discretion of how those communities should be served and is it being served adequately, we share that conversation and we move out of the way in a sense. I think that is so important because if you're only looking at a community from the top level, what you find is you're at an angle that you don't see all of the wonderful aspects and, and nooks and crannies of the community um, that someone in the community and living in that community every day can. Um, so by decentralizing a bit, I found that we have been able to reach more entrepreneurs, serve them in a richer, more meaningful way, um, but then also have a support system of organizations that can really have the, the hands where we as a capacity of a stake function do not. Um, I, so far, I'm, I'm really satisfied with it. And I would encourage other states to maybe encourage public-private partnership more. Um, it's a good way of getting the work done in a way that is reflective and representative of the community. Yeah, again, well said, Monique. I would just add, I think that, you know, in my experience, um, there is a long track record and it's not unique to Kentucky of, um, you know, a command and control, you know, bureaucratic sort of system where we use the power of the purse or whatever funding we have available to sort of compel partnership or more likely just compel action compliance. And something that Monique is, I think, innately great at is convening and using instead the power to bring those people together. I think that it is really fascinating how sort of longstanding silos, as we've been referring to them, 
can at least, you know, the barriers can weaken just by being in a room together and using our sort of uh, role as the state as to bring those people together. KCV and the universities is a great example. Um, you know, a lot of the people that are doing kind of the same work across the state have never been in the same sort of conversation or room before. That's happening on a regular basis now. Yes. Something, just a quick uh, other example of how we're doing that is we have a monthly entrepreneur support organization webinar. And, and that's something that we established um, because there are all of these different organizations across the state that may not be receiving funding from us. They may not have any direct connection to the programming that we offer, but we are inviting all of them to the table because we have this common goal and they see things like Monique said at the ground level that we are not going to see. They are, you know, spotting trends. They're understanding what the needs of the community actually are. And so bringing all of those people together on a regular basis, inviting them uh, to the table uh, to, you know, listen to what we have going on and understand that better, but then also enrich the entire, uh, you know, the entire endeavor by uh, their own experience and, and what they're seeing on the ground. I think that's starting to make a big difference and we're just getting started really with some of that work, so. Great point. Yeah, and I think you both hit the nail on the head, which is that the state rather than trying to own all the assets and own all the outcomes, decentralizing it, but then using its power to convene, right? That's the secret mm -hmm. in the states that we've seen doing it really well. They're using their power and their influence to actually just bring people together because when you bring people together, they're going to do great things. You can just bring them together Absolutely. and get out of the way, right? Um, it works. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. So last question as we wrap up, uh, uh, if you had some advice you'd give to your younger self getting into this work, uh, because we have a lot of practitioners that uh, are listening to this podcast to see how they can play a bigger role in their communities. Uh, what advice do you have, Monique? Uh, I'll have you go first, uh, David, go second, and then, you know, would love to also get any other thoughts that you all have uh, to wrap up. Ooh, you know, my advice to my younger self would be do it anyway. Do it anyway. I think we are very familiar with the statistic that's out there um, that shows um, research based that women tend to go after positions and go after opportunities um, only when they check every single box on the job uh, description. Um, really for every single demographic in our community, I would encourage them to go after opportunity and go after it assertively. Um, it's something that we're seeing a transformation in our innovation ecosystem. When I started in this industry, it was very much um, um, all of the same in, in very small pockets. And the innovation ecosystem was just trying to get started, right? We are so fortunate that different groups and different things came together to really make it the rich and diverse community that it is today. I think of the investments from Kentucky's legislature with the Kentucky Innovation Act back in year 2000. I think about our nonprofit community that stepped up. Um, I think to um, the Community Foundation of Louisville with the Vote Awards, a philanthropically funded um, venture capital instrument. I think of the Kentucky Science and Technology Corporation that leaned in early to help Kentucky to deliver some of these innovation programs. I also think to our academic community, right? Um, not only support, uh, supporting the brilliance that come from their faculty, staff, and student body, 
um, but also the administrative power, right, of taking some of these federal grants and allowing us to serve as a match partner, but really pushing more funding out into commercialization consistently. And also being a huge source of diversity of talent, right? Especially when you look across the state of Kentucky, that's one of the reasons why we targeted with Kentucky Commercialization Ventures is that we knew when we involved more of these institutions in commercialization, we would get a higher count of women um, entrepreneurs and women innovators, higher number of diverse entrepreneurs and innovators. I say all of this to say, in order for us to continue to tap the wonderful rewards that come from that step, we need leaders. We need people that are driving the innovation. We need people that uh, want to jump in and create those new inventions that can change our world. Earlier this week, we were talking with a gentleman who's part of a um, incubator in the city of Louisville, Mr. Brooks. Um, and he has a wonderful longevity, small business, shout out to longevity here. Um, but I'm so thrilled about Mr. Brooks because he took the initiative to say, there's a better way to create this machine. Let me design and fabricate a better way to do this. I don't have it all figured out right now, but let me jump now. Those are the stepping stones that are created that when he does connect with my team, which he is connected to my team, we're able to talk about intellectual property and how to get it patented. We're able to talk to him about in, um, access to capital. We're able to work with him on navigating the different state instruments that are there um, that incentivize his business growth and incentivize him hiring employees and, and, and procuring more equipment. So I say all of this to say, I started in innovation here in Kentucky as a student, wasn't 100% sure of what I wanted to do, I'm so grateful that I took the step to get involved anyway. I encourage everyone to follow that footsteps because really that's what we need in order to have such a vibrant innovation uh, ecosystem in the future. And I will, uh, I'll be brief. I'm gonna misappropriate and probably misstate, I think actually uh, a tagline from one of our regional institutions that Monique mentioned has been brought into uh, more of the commercialization uh, space recently, but you can get there, there being where you want to go from here. You can yes. get anywhere from where you are in Kentucky and you can do anything where you are in Kentucky now. The pathways exist, the resources are there, um, that sort of aspirational, you can see it, you can be it, examples are in every corner of our state. And now, you know, we have, again, sort of the, the infrastructure and the resources to support you um, but it is, there's never been a more exciting time in the state of Kentucky. You think about economic development, you know, big E, big D, economic development, like you said, recruitment in, you know, large project investment, large job numbers. Those are things that we still love to see, but the largest project in Kentucky state history that was just announced this year is a partnership between Ford and SK Innovation for an electric vehicle plant. And when you look back at you know, 30 plus years ago when Toyota built a plant here, that was transformational. Um, this is has the potential to be transformational in a different way because we're looking at the technologies of the future and it's almost really the, the opposite of the so-called sort of extraction industries that Kentucky and Appalachia are known for, where you're talking about a project like that coming in and the possibilities for innovation around that and the kinds of careers that you can have 
have up and downstream for for a project and an OEM like that are really endless. So I think you know for younger people in Kentucky, you don't have to leave to do it, or you can. But this can be your launch pad. Um, there's just sort of endless possibilities in the state right now, and I'm really excited for uh, the next generation of Kentuckians to, to get to participate. It's a great point, David. It's all right here. That's awesome. And it looks like you've created this no wrong, wrong door to access for Kentuckians. So uh, congratulations. Uh, I am going to be watching uh, this journey and I'm so excited to see all the updates that I'm going to get on LinkedIn and your newsletters and uh, all of the other forums. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. We're always happy to help. We're so grateful to be able to join you for this interview. Um, and we look forward to more. Uh, we love to provide updates. We love to share our story. We love to hear other stories. Uh, so I'm so excited uh, to tune in for your future episodes. And thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Check us out, kyinnovation.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Special thanks to our renowned guests for joining us. You can find show notes, more episodes, send us ideas, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, economicimpactcatalyst.com. Breaking Down Barriers is a presentation of Economic Impact Catalyst and is edited by Lauren Bernard. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Breaking Down Barriers available for free wherever you listen to your podcasts.